It's been 20 years. Iconic guests. My guest is Danica Patrick. I mean, you've been doing this for 17 years. You might be the OG of podcasts. We all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. In 2004, we launched Sports Business Radio, and David was kind enough to be my first guest. He was just joking uh, in the green room that he launched my career. So. He hasn't let me go since. It's really impossible. <laughs> my guest is Emmett Smith. I think being authentic, being who you are, and being unapologetic about it, and being open to receive knowledge in, in areas that you may be unaware of, that's okay, too. My guest is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. International growth is something that I'm always thinking a lot about, and both for the NBA and for the game. And it's it's a recognition that nothing is preordained. My guest is Bob Costas. You know, Brian, as you said, I've been so lucky and did so many things that I could never even have dreamed of doing. All I really want to do now is return to the things that are most truthful to me as a person and a professional. The biggest names in sports. My guest is Maria Sharapova. I wanted to be in those rooms and I wanted to be in those meetings because there was something inside of me that said that although tennis was a big part of my life, it wasn't going to be my life in capital letters. And I had to become savvy and smart. A big part of sport is business. Our guest this week, Sue Bird. (laughs) Who told you I'm a bowler? That's hilarious. I read that you're like a good bowler and you break 200 when you bowl. Is that not true? Is that false uh, media report? Welcome to year 20 of Sports Business Radio. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Matt Hamachek, he's a director and executive producer of The Dynasty, New England Patriots. It's a great docuseries on Apple TV+. He's going to join us to discuss the making of the compelling and insightful docuseries detailing the 20-year run of the Patriots dynasty. Kamachek is going to take us behind the scenes into the making of the docuseries, which I always find fascinating, uh, including how producers convinced Patriots owner Robert Kraft, Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, and Patriots quarterback Tom Brady to sit down for in-depth conversations for the docuseries, and how much historical film they reviewed during the making of the series. The series spans 10 episodes. It covers topics such as Brady being chosen as quarterback over Drew Bledsoe, Spygate, Deflategate, and the murder case of late tight end Aaron Hernandez. Ultimately, the series takes viewers inside the greatest dynasty in NFL history that led to six Super Bowl wins for the Patriots. You can watch all 10 episodes of The Dynasty on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, Hamachek directed this on behalf of Imagine Documentaries, which is Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. I love them. They make great movies, great TV shows. Everything they do is at the highest level. Hamachek has also directed the docuseries Tiger on HBO. I've seen that. That's also excellent. Griggs, the cool thing about this is that Matt listened to last week's edition of Sports Business Radio, heard us talking about the dynasty and his rep reaches out and says, hey, Matt would love to come on Sports Business Radio and, and discuss the docuseries. And I was like, this is awesome because, you know, we love talking about this kind of stuff on our show. And there's so many documentaries out there. And, you know, as I'll mention to Matt, this is the best docuseries I've seen since The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls. This is so well done. The footage is amazing. 
you know, you get those three people to sit down. They had 70 people sit down overall for this. So you're getting the firsthand perspective. It's not, you know, someone else is telling you the story. Um, and then the music was great too. So the music in the last dance was great. Those are kind of the three things that I need to see in a great docuseries is footage, uh, who's sitting down to discuss it and give their perspective. And then give me some good, compelling music. I totally agree. And it's well done. I started watching it. I know you got an early screening, but I'm catching up. I, uh, I'm loving it so far. It's, it's brilliantly done. Great interviews. The footage, like you mentioned, is just fascinating. They have some old footage and locker room stuff and uh, the first episode is with Bledsoe and Brady becoming on the scene. And it's just like, it's compelling because you just feel Bledsoe when he gets hurt. You feel the pain he has. And then, oh my gosh, who's this new guy that just came in and took my spot? So uh, yeah, it's so well done. I love the story, how you mentioned how Matt found us on, uh, listened to the show and said, hey, I want to come on and talk about it. And he did. So it's great. Good interview today. Yeah. You never know who's listening. That's what we always say. Um, yeah, just a well done docuseries. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. All right, let's get to some headlines. A federal judge on Friday temporarily blocked the NCAA from enforcing its prohibitions against recruits signing monetary deals with booster groups, delivering a significant blow to the NCAA's attempts to stop universities and their supporters from paying athletes to play at their schools. Basically, Griggs, this means that now student athletes can directly negotiate their NIL. They don't have to go through a collective. They don't have to go through boosters. If you're in high school, I think you're going to be able to go directly. I mean, did you see uh, Mississippi State quarterback Jackson Dart, who's a Heisman candidate, just signed a private jet deal? So I tweeted out like, you know, all the high level recruits now are going to say to their agent, oh, yeah, I need a PJ deal. Go get me a PJ deal. This is the bar is getting set higher. You know, it used to be like, oh, someone has a fancy car on campus. They must have an NIL deal or they must be getting paid. Now we're doing PJ deals, Griggs. And now you're flying into, into class on your private jet. I like that. That's the way to roll. That is definitely the way to roll. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine it's like the weekend and you're like, hey, uh, you know, no football this weekend. I'm just going to get on the PJ and go go fly around. So, yeah, I mean, look, we've said this. We're 20 years old this year, and we've said this for probably like the last 10 at least. The days of amateur athletics are over. Now it's just going to be, you know, where does the NCAA fit into all of this? And clearly, uh, judges in Tennessee and Virginia put a stop last Friday to these uh, suits that are out there. And they're saying that, you know what, effective immediately, athletes in all states can directly negotiate their name, image, and likeness deal. So, you know, we've talked for years again about if you were Reggie Bush or Matt Leinert or Zion Williamson or Christian Leitner, someone from back in the day, imagine how much money they would have made if they got a percentage of the sales of their jerseys or if they could cash in on their name. That's what athletes are now being able to do. Um, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why you are seeing some of the college coaches either retire like Nick Saban, become assistants like Chip Kelly, or go to the N NBA or NFL and go to the pros and not have to deal with NIL. They're like, you know what? I signed up to be a coach. I didn't sign up to be a recruiter, have to negotiate NIL deals, have to work with athletes directly or deal with collectives and boosters. Like it's just too much. 
they wanted to be coaches in amateur athletics. Now, again, we're really talking football and basketball here. We're not talking, you know, tennis and lacrosse and soccer and swimming and water polo and, and stuff like that. This is for the elite of the elite, but it still impacts the athlete's ability to cash in on their name, image, and likeness. Great. Well, yeah, and we also saw for the gamers out there, the, the big EA Sports NCAA football game is coming back. And yep. on that, too, it's giving all these athletes the chance to opt in to have their name on the jersey. They get a kickback, and here we go. And, and it's a it's a huge, uh, everybody in the world of gaming, can't, they can't wait. I mean, this is like the best game that's ever been played. Now you're going to get jersey names. You're going to get, obviously, new graphics and everything around it. So, you know, there's just another sign of, hey, this is changing world. It's becoming a, a paid-to-play kind of sport. And you mentioned, too, with the coaches. I mean... It's hard to recruit when all these players jump in for half a season, then transfer and go here. And it's like, I just recruited that guy for a year and he played six games. It's crazy. Right. The portal. Yep. You're in the portal. I mean, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, did tell us in December when he was on that you're basically going to be able to transfer once going forward. This isn't, you know, four schools in four years like it's been during the COVID rules. There are going to be different rules about transferring, but, you know, you'll get a mulligan, so to speak, if you. <laughs> decide that, you know what, I chose the wrong school or, oh, by the way, this school over here is offering me, you know, $3 million a year instead of one. So I'm going to jump over here. Um, the EA sports deal is interesting because I read, I think it's like six or 700 bucks that yeah. they're going to offer the players in the game, which if you're Jackson Dart or you're one of the more elite players, that's not very much money. So you might say, you know what, I'm holding out. I'm not going to opt in. Or you may say, a ton of people are going to play this game. It's great branding for me, great awareness for my name in the game. Plus, it's just kind of cool. I like the game. I want to be in the game. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting for the players making decisions on that. But uh, yeah, we'll keep our eyes on that. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, at NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, -end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Another headline this week is Steve Kerr 
I mean, I can't even believe it got this far, to be honest with you. He's in the last year of his contract, and you're sitting here going, uh, this is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Why does he not have a new contract? Is it because he doesn't want one, and he may move on after this season? You know, there had been rumors he was either going to retire or maybe he goes to San Antonio and succeeds Greg Popovich. You know, who knows? But the Warriors have given four-time NBA champion head coach Steve Kerr, a two-year contract extension worth $35 million. This is according to multiple outlets. So he's now going to exceed uh, Eric Spolster, our friend from the Heat, as the highest-paid coach per season. Spolster still has the highest-paid overall contract as his contract runs for more than two years. But Kerr, what is my math, 17 and a half? Is that what? Uh, I think that sounds I- right. Yeah, so $17.5 million a year is is what Steve Kerr is going to earn. I think he deserves every penny of it. Um, and then coincidentally, or not coincidentally, Griggs, this aligns now with Steph Curry's contract. So Steph Curry, after this season, has two more years on his deal. Steve Kerr now has two more years. So, you know, I think this is the Warriors riding out the Steph Curry window as long as they can. And they say, how can we maximize this with our coach? And then, you know, you see how things go after that. But the Warriors, I mean, when Brian Windhorst was on, you know, a couple weeks ago, that's a great conversation, by the way, if you missed that, covering the NBA. I mean, you've seen how much money and luxury tax the Warriors have paid to keep this roster together. And, you know, Clay is coming off the bench now. Like, this is not the Warriors team that we've seen, but they're paying luxury tax and a premium for this team. It would make no sense at all that you're paying that amount of money for this roster. And then you don't have Steve Kerr as the coach. Yeah. Like you're, you're clearly going for it in this window. This makes sense to have Steve Kerr continue to coach for the next two years, aligning with Steph Curry's contract. And then, you know, you see where things land in two years. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, we talk about dynasty in the first uh, segment there. And it's, this is the NBA dynasty that we're in right now. It's the Warriors. I mean, it's been the Warriors. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's their world. And I think, yeah, you got to ride the, ride the wave while you can. You just, you don't see this team and this roster without Steve Kerr on the, on the sideline. I mean, he's the guy, he's clearly what's, uh, you know, powered the machine that's got him this far. So yeah, I agree. Keep it going. Uh, extend the contract. And I think Kerr's the kind of coach too, where he's going to be a warrior coach until he's not a coach. He's not going to bounce to another team. I think he's going to retire as a warrior coach. And I think uh, it's a smart move. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm not sure about that. I could see him going to San Antonio and succeeding pop. They have a similar culture there. You get to coach Wemby. True. Like you're you're kind of, you know, he's coached a generational player in staff. Now you get to go coach a generational player in Wemby. That would be a really amazing opportunity, but it doesn't sound like Pop is going to retire anytime soon. Yeah. So, you know, maybe in two years, again, there's a conversation. And if Pop is in a different mindset in two years, then maybe Kerr goes to San Antonio. But I'm happy to see Kerr continue in Golden State, you know, stay there with Steph, see what happens in the next two years, and then go from there. All right. More NBA news the Los Angeles Clippers unveil a rebrand that's going to go into effect next season. So um, this was a major rebrand. I like their logo a lot better than the logo that they had before. It's a lot more professional. They've got like the Navy ship. They've got the compass. I like the colors. It's got a Nautica feel to it. Um, And, you know, look, this is a brand that has been associated 
with failure. I mean, they've never made it to the NBA Finals. Um, they've been jinxed by a number of different things over the years. They kind of needed something fresh as they go into their new arena, the Intuit Dome in Inglewood in the fall. So I like what they did here. I kind of like that they put it out. Now, if you remember a few years ago when the Washington Commanders were renamed, that whole branding leaked and it got out. We saw more recently with Tiger Woods, with TaylorMade, that kind of leaked and got out, even though most people like myself couldn't believe that was the actual brand. I was like, no. <laughs> this could have leaked because you're not opening till the fall. You're putting in the court in the Intuit Dome. Someone would have seen this and taken a picture and leaked it. This is a good move by the Clippers to get it out there now, be in front of it, control the narrative, do it their way, instead of having it leaked and have a bunch of people go, yeah, that's great. Or no, it's like <laughs> this was controlled by the Clippers. And, you know, they're going to put the merchandise on sale. And um, I think they're going to sell a ton of these. And it just, you know, look, the Lakers are the team in Los Angeles. The Clippers are always going to be second fiddle. But the Clippers have the better team this year. They've got Kawhi playing really well. You got PG-13, Paul George. You've got James Harden. You've got Ty Lue. They've got a quality roster and coaching staff. So, you know, making it more professional with your branding after having branding that most people would say was a little bit middle of the road as you're moving into your new arena, this feels fresh. It feels like Griggs, we're moving into the new house and we're adding some new paint. And, um, you know, I, I like it. It's uh, it's the great analogy. Yeah. Like moving in, you're, you're selling all your old stuff. You're getting the new stuff. We're moving into the new house. Nice, clean, fresh, totally new look. And I love it. I think my favorite Jersey set is they call it the statement edition. It's got Los Angeles across it, kind of crooked. Uh, red looks good. Looks really clean. The logo looks good. I like how they're playing on the Clippers, you know, the ship. Um, and, and the nautical theme, the court has the, uh, longitude, latitude kind of thing on it yeah, too, which I is cool. That. Yeah. It's a really clean look. Balmer knows what he's doing. I mean, the guy gets excited. Obviously he gets people around him excited. The Clippers, yes, they're second place in LA as, as far as popularity, but they're growing every season. They're getting more and more fans. They're starting to sell out the arenas. They're selling the jerseys. They got a good team. Like you said, Kawhi healthy. If he can go all the way through into the playoffs, look out. Clippers are going to be good. And I'm all for the rebrand. I think it looks really clean, looks nice, professional. And uh, yeah, I, I like everything about it. I saw something. I'm not sure how they measured this, but they said in the last seven years, they've doubled their fan base. Mm -hmm. That's a good sign. I mean, any team would take that, right? Doubling your fan base. Again, I think they have a better roster than the Lakers. Um, they probably have a better coach in front office than the Lakers. Um, and, you know, again, I have all kinds of respect for Jeannie Buss and the Lakers. But, you know, you've got the Crypto.com arena where the Clippers have played and they've played second fiddle to the Lakers in that venue. Now they're going to have their own venue. And it's going to be one of the state-of-the-art arenas in all of the United States in any sport. Um, so, you know, Steve Ballmer has spent a ton of money and a ton of time and effort on creating this state-of-the-art arena for his Clippers to play in. So if they moved in and it was kind of the same old, same old with the branding, I think it would have been a miss. So this is really smart for them to do this. They hadn't rebranded in, God, years. Mm -hmm. And it was like just the L.A. and like the C over the L. I mean, again, did like a fourth grader 
do their logo <laughs> previously. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to be too critical, but like what they've done now, you're like, okay, they had some professionals working on the rebrand. This looks really good. I actually would get a hat that has the C and it looks like the little compass mm-hmm. and it's got the ship in the middle. Like, you know, they've got some standalone marks that on hats or hoodies would look awesome. And I think they're going to sell a ton of gear. And I like the colors, you know, a lot of teams have been going with black and white and like, I like the red, white, and blue. I like the Nautica feel to it. Um, I just think they, they nailed it with this. So um, I'm excited for them. And, you know, we have some friends in the Clippers organization. Who knows? Maybe we'll be talking to some of them later in the year and hint, but uh, this is going to be great. And I can't wait to see, you know, we've seen SoFi. I can't wait to see uh, into it dome. And the wall, you know, you yeah. can only have Clippers fans sitting in the <laughs> section where the opposing team is shooting into. Like, they're doing some things to give themselves a real home court advantage. I like how they're thinking outside the box, whether it's with this rebrand or how they've designed their arena. Like, I give them credit for not just, like, doing what everyone else does. Hey, we're going to build a new arena. Let's move in. It's going to be newer and shinier. Like, they, they're doing some real let's turn the page things to set themselves up for a fresh start going into this new arena yeah they're taking a note out of the mls like we're in portland you got the timbers army for uh, portland timbers where it's the whole section that is the army and you can't sit there unless you're an army member so yeah. i think that's cool and look hey if you have to go to the bathroom in the in the new balmer place you're only going to be in there like 30 seconds or something they're timing it out because there's so many bathrooms it's crazy yeah this will have more bathrooms than any arena in the united states for sure maybe in the world yeah. so this was a big point of uh, emphasis with Steve Ballmer, the owner, is he doesn't want fans missing the action. So if you're going to get some food, there's going to be quick lines. There's going to be grab and go. If you're going to use the bathroom, there's a bazillion bathrooms. So you're not waiting in line for an entire quarter. So, you know, he's going to change some things up that will be more fan friendly. And it's LA too. Like the LA fans, especially the celebrities, like they want a certain level of treatment. They're like Jackson Dart. They need the PJ. Like <laughs> you can't just have them come in the entrance. Everyone else comes in. They can't use the same bathroom. Like, you know, they, they want to be treated like VIPs. So this will uh, have that for them. All right. The last note before we head into our interview, Peter King is retiring 44 years covering the NFL. A tip of the cap to Peter King. Um, just you know, such a great writer. Uh, if you're looking for a reporter who did a masterful job of building relationships with everyone from the commissioner to Tom Brady to Peyton Manning to, you know, players over the last 44 years, this guy got great access. Great writer for Sports Illustrated. I couldn't wait when I was a kid, you know, to get my Thursday Sports Illustrated with Peter King's column and what he thought about the NFL. That morphed into more recently Monday Morning Quarterback, which was a must read. But the other thing, you know, if you go on X after he announced his retirement, um, you know, you see all these reporters that he helped and that he took under his wing, whether he helped save their job at Sports Illustrated or whether he just mentored them and showed them the ropes of covering the NFL. Like this was a guy who impacted a lot of people beyond the readers. He impacted coworkers people in the NFL, you could argue, I mean, I'd have to think about this, who else you'd put on this list, but 
you could argue he's the most impactful reporter that has ever covered the NFL and, you know, 44 years. So, um, you know, a big loss for the NFL, to be frank, Mm -hmm. because I think people woke up after the Sunday games and they were like, oh, the first thing I'm reading is the Monday morning quarterback column. And, you know, Peter's intel on everything was so good because his sources were excellent. And if he said something, you know, 99.9% of the time it was going to happen. So he had scoops way before Shafter and way before like Woj. And, and I know Woj is NBA, but like he was the original, mm-hmm. you know, Woj bomb or Schefter bomb. Like he was the guy who was telling you what was going to happen. Like I loved after uh, the Super Bowl most recently in the locker room, right after the game, after the celebration in the coach's office, Peter King is in there with Andy Reid. And there's video, if you find it online, of Andy Reid explaining in detail down to the name of the play, the play on the you know winning touchdown in, in overtime. And how many reporters could go into the coach's office for a one-on-one and get that level of detail from the Super Bowl winning coach minutes after the game ended? I think he's the only one. So... Um, tip of the cap to Peter King, you know, I'll miss him as a, as a fan and a reader, uh, ultimate respect for him as a reporter. And, uh, I mean, look, we're celebrating 20 years this year. Can you imagine 44? I mean, (laughs) if we get to 44, wow. But that is doing anything for 44 years is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, he is the master and a true sports investigative journalist. Like he knows what he's doing. His writing is great. Like you said. In 44 years, he knows everybody and not just like, hey, how are you? Like he knows everybody. He knows yeah. these coaches. He knows these owners. So he gets that access that you just don't get as a, as a rookie writer. So, yeah, he will be missed. Uh, man, you just think back, like you mentioned, Sports Illustrated, some of the stories he wrote on and just uh, how he captured the story and uh, behind the scenes. And yeah, he's such just such a great, uh, great writer and just really dug into the story so deep. Uh, he will be missed. One more thing. Uh, before we go to the interview, I want to thank John Orand, who was on with us last week. He writes a column for Puck News. Great newsletter. You can get it via email. Um, follow John on X at Orand, O-U-R-A-N-D underscore Puck, P-U-C-K. A nice little uh, blurb about Sports Business Radio in 20 years in his column. It was right at the front of the column. Compared us, Griggs, to Cal Ripken our streak of 20 years. I mean, anytime you're compared to the great Cal Ripken, I will take that comparison any day. So thank you to John for recognizing our, our 20 years of sports business radio. We're proud of it. Yeah, for sure. John's just a, he, I talk about masterful writer. He's one of those two. He knows everything and, and does a great job. Uh, and his newsletter is a must read. So sign up for that for sure. All right. Coming up next, Matt Hamachek, the director and executive producer of the dynasty He takes us inside 20 years of the New England Patriots. It's on Apple TV Plus. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. I love innovation and I love tech. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about what Matsing is doing. You may have a solid wireless network at your venue, but do you have the highest performing antennas in the world to power your network? Matsing is the leader in multi-beam lens antennas. Venues such as AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, Allegiant Stadium, which is home of the Las Vegas Raiders and Super Bowl 58, 
and Amelie Arena, which is home of the Tampa Bay Lightning, all have Matzing's innovative lens antennas. As a matter of fact, Matzing's antennas are deployed in over 100 venues globally, including 50% of NFL venues, 35% of NBA and NHL venues, several Formula One racetracks, and even at the upcoming 2024 Paris Olympics. Do you want to deliver a fully connected venue experience to your fans? Then Matzing is the key to delivering a best-in-class mobile experience for fans who want to post pictures, watch videos, order food, or place real-time wagers. For more information on how Matzing can help your venue, visit matzing.com. That's M-A-T-S-I-N-G.com. Or email Tracy Salazar at T-R-A-C-Y. S-A-L-A-Z-A-R at matzing.com. That's Tracy Salazar at matzing.com. Matzing is the exclusive antenna partner of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Matt Hamachek. He is the director and executive producer of The Dynasty about the New England Patriots. You can watch it now on Apple TV+. Plus. I got to tell our listeners the dynasty and the last dance about the Chicago Bulls dynasty. These are the best two docuseries I've ever watched in my life. Matt, congratulations on uh, this project and thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I had Mike Tolan on when he made the last dance and he gave us the behind the scenes of how do you get the main characters to sit down in the chair and how do you get them to open up? So as I'm watching the dynasty and I see Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, my first question is, how did you get these guys to sit down? Well, to be honest, the last thing that I did, the last thing that I directed was a film about Tiger Woods for HBO, right? And, it, and in some ways, it was the exact opposite where for that, I really didn't have anybody in. I didn't have Tiger. I didn't have the people that were in his inner circle. So in, in a lot of ways, it was sort of a you know, outsider looking in uh, viewpoint. But what's interesting is that the process of getting people to sit is very, very similar in that you kind of reach out to people and say, hey, this is, this is, the, this is the story we're trying to tell. Would you be interested in doing it? And some people, uh, you know, say yes. And some people take a lot more convincing. And they ask questions and they say, well, how will I be portrayed? And, and I try to say the things, I, you know, I try to tell them like, You'll probably come off somewhere in between the way that you would like to see yourself come off if you were the person who was making this thing. And that, so that's the one extreme. And the other extreme is probably how your worst enemy would make something about you. And in between there is probably how you will come off and probably closer to what the truth actually is. And, and I talk about how I don't want to ever make anything where you sort of build up a straw man just to sort of knock them down. And what I mean by that obviously is. I'm sure we've all watched things, whether it's on TV or in documentaries where, you know, the people take, um, take an interview and they sort of, they manipulate it so that you're only looking at the dumbest things that a person says, and then you're just using them to kind of, you know, uh, make your point or whatever the thing is. And that's never how I look at it. What I thought of when I started this thing was here's an opportunity for the first time ever in a lot of ways to get all of these people together, not just Bill, Tom and Robert, but also the 70 plus players and coaches and executives and rivals and say, you know, this is not Bill's 
telling of the story. This is not Tom's telling of the story. It's not Robert's telling of the story. It's all of their collective telling of this story. And let's let them talk. And, and the goal, if anything, was how do we tell the unvarnished story of the New England Patriots? This is the incredible successes and highs. It's also the lows. And it's not going to be told from the fan perspective. It's going to be told from somebody else who, who didn't grow up like me adoring the Patriots. It's going to be told from the perspective of somebody who's sort of looking at this almost for the first time because I didn't grow up a Patriots fan. And um, I think, again, yeah, the goal was always how do you tell the unvarnished version of the story? Do you still make this documentary if one of those three says, you know what, I'm out, I'm not doing it? I yeah yeah of course you probably still make the documentary but I probably naively have this feeling when I set out to make something that like this that I'm gonna find a way to get somebody to do something and and that's that's just that's just not like um, I'm not trying to be overly confident or cocky or anything like that but when you're in the middle of it you almost have to tell yourself we're gonna get there eventually and we're gonna be able to talk to everybody and you take the time to talk to them. And it sort of happened that way on Tiger. It happened that way on this one. Adam Vinatieri was one of the last people that finally agreed to sit down and talk. And one of his stipulations was, I want to make sure that you're actually going to tell the unvarnished telling of the story, because you have to remember, Adam Vinatieri was responsible for some of the greatest kicks in NFL history, but certainly in Patriot history, some of the Super Bowl, many of the Super Bowl winning kicks. But then he eventually went on to be a, a Indianapolis Colt. And so... And so from his perspective, he didn't want to be part of something that was patriot hagiography, right? And then the other part of it was that he wanted to make sure I had those three guys, that I had, you know, the the three main ones, because I think he had probably felt over time like certain people had done Bill's story, some people had done Tom and Robert's story, and he wanted this to be everybody's. And that's, you know, what we got from having Adam in, but it also is what we got from having Ernie Adams in, Scott Pioli, Petty Bruschi, you know, Julian Edelman, uh, Rob Gronkowski, everybody uh, from, you know, really giving the perspective of the coaching staff, but also the players. You cover Spygate, Deflategate, Aaron Hernandez. I mean, you cover the controversial topics in this documentary, and I think that's what makes it so good. When you're sitting down with the big three, Kraft, Belichick, Brady, is there anything that they tell you in advance? I know how PR people work. Hey, look, this is off limits as a topic. No, and and it's it's a credit to all of them that they kind of didn't do that. And in Tom's case, I mean, what I'm, I, you know, I was expecting because Tom, in a way, is such a global celebrity, right? He's a name, and and not just in the football world, but, you know, he's doing these Dunkin' Donut commercials now and he's been on the cover of GQ and all this stuff. So what I assumed when I, when, when we were going to sit down and interview Tom was that he was going to show up with three cars and there was going to be an entourage of makeup people and minders and some PR person who's going to try to sit, sit behind me and tap me on the shoulder and say, you can't ask about the plate gate or something like that. But to his credit, he just shows up. It's just him by himself. Wow. No makeup, no nothing. Sits down in the chair and says, what do you guys want to know? And there was no, there was nothing ahead of time. And, and it was a credit to all of those three guys, but everybody that sat down, that there was never a, can't talk about this, don't want to, you know, it's like, it, it's that kind of a thing. So it was great. And, um, and, you know, that's ultimately what makes for good documentaries when people are willing to sit down and just be honest. 
show us a little bit of how the sausage is made when you're sitting down with especially those three, but any of the people you're interviewing, are you having pre-interview discussions or is it literally they sit in the chair and fire away? With some people you do, um, with others you don't. Normally the pre-interview thing is really helpful for us when it's somebody that you don't know what their story is, for example, right? So for some of the, like the fans, for example, when we when we were at the beginning of episode one, we pre-interviewed all the fans to see like, what well, what topics are they really good on and what topics aren't they good on? Things like that. For the other, for the players or for the rivals or whoever we talk to, if, you know, some of them had been in the media and talking for a really long time and you kind of knew a little bit of what the things are that they, they, they were good at and what they weren't and, and where their story was. But sometimes it would be, you know, what are your recollections from this day? And we would have Chris James, one of our producers would, uh, would do a lot of those pre-interviews. And then all of a sudden he, that he'd come back from that and he'd say, Oh, by the way, so-and-so has this great story about blah, 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 or, you know, so-and-so has, uh, for example, Nugent, uh, David Nugent, the roommate of Tom Brady that's in episode one. Uh, I think it was in the pre-interview for Nugent that Chris James, our producer, came back and said, by the way, he has this video footage of Tom Brady when they were living in this condo together. He's going to bring it to the interview. And <laughs> so, you know, it was just stuff like that that um, that that would really help us get ready for these things. Um, so, yeah. When were you doing these interviews? Because everyone knows now that Bill Belichick is not with the Patriots. Yeah. So I'm wondering, were these interviews conducted before they parted ways or probably not after, right? No, no, we were done before. We were done with any kind of creative, meaning any anything that shaped the story. We were done long before that, really. Um so we were still doing color and sound, right? We were doing like the last touches on episode 10 for color and sound, right? When he left the team. Um, so his interview was several, several months beforehand. Um, and all of these basically happened sometime between the end of 2021 and midway through 23. So that's sort of the time period where all, but it, they happened all across that time. I mean, it just, it, this was a massive undertaking that, with a team of, you know, 56 people who were just in, just in sort of post-production and then another, you know, 20, 30 plus that were different, pe different people, different crews that were involved in production and things like that. When I had Mike Tolan on, he told me that 95% of the footage that they had for Last Dance didn't get used. And I'm wondering, oh my gosh, how much footage did you have for this? I mean, you're telling me that people are bringing like rare footage to an interview when they sit down with you. How much in interview footage are you combing through to decide here's what makes it into the docuseries? Yeah, so we had 35,000 hours, if not more, oh my of archival footage for this. And to give you sort of some some sense of how much that is, one of our post supervisors figured out that these tapes are like uh, about the size of a credit card uh, in term and, and maybe a little and thicker, but like, you know, not that much. And um, it would have taken two Mac trucks to contain wow. all of the tapes that we had access to for this thing. Whether and that that includes many different things, the craft archives at the 
or the Patriot Archives rather at the um, at the stadium and, and also the um, NFL films footage and then ESPN and just random people bringing you things. I mean, it was just, you know, it, it, it was massive. And just to have people combing through that constantly to, to, you know, to, to look at it, it was just, you know, it was a massive undertaking. I think at, at times we had 50 people going sort of around the clock looking at it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things, obviously the participants, but the footage in this documentary is just outstanding what you found and what you were oh, able you. to piece in. I love the music. You know, I think music oh. is a, a big part of Scott Salinas. Yeah. Scott Salinas was the composer of this and, uh, I've worked with him now, gosh, probably on five or six different projects. You know, he is, he is an incredible composer, an incredible musician. Um, and I think, you know, the benefit of, as you're making this thing, you sort of, you, you, you bring in all sorts of different soundtracks and things to sort of temp in as the sort of, at least to give the, the editor something to work with. But then what's so great about having a person as talented as Scott is, is that he, he works with me and our lead editor, Dan Kohler. And there's this cohesiveness that then comes across the entire series, right? Where, you know, everything feels like it's speaking to each other as opposed to being, well, we use this soundtrack as our temp thing here. And it doesn't quite sound like anything that's going on in an episode that's three or four episodes earlier. And then ultimately the next question is, how do you then sort of dovetail that with the um the popular music what they what we call the needle drops um that go in and in you know in episode one we had uh under pressure by queen and bowie and then in episode five which is about to come up we have public service announcement by jay-z is one of our songs and it's just a, an eclectic group but how do you blend all of that together and feel like it's this cohesive thing so it was a long process but i couldn't agree with you more scott just did an incredible job and then um we worked with an incredible company called Hit the Ground Running. That's our music sort of supervisors who would sort of give us suggestions or help us um, get clearance rights to the popular music choices. And sort of, again, how do you get all those people to uh, all of those things and all of those different types of music to sort of talk to each other is the great challenge. I want to go back to Kraft, Belichick and Brady. When you have them, is it a one shot thing? One day you've got them for an hour, two hours, like what does that look like? Are you bringing them back? I would imagine it's a one-shot thing, right? It depends on the person. I would always ask for multiple days from everybody and some people would give it and some people wouldn't, right? So um, the people that gave us the most time, I believe would have been Ernie Adams, Scott Pioli, and Robert Kraft. They all sat, sat for multiple interviews. And then, you know, I'd say almost every person we talked to gave us at least three hours of time. And so, um, sometimes that was broken up over multiple days. Sometimes that would be all in one sitting and, um, you know, it just, it just varied from person to person. I think after watching this, you could make an argument that Ernie Adams after the big three might be the most important person in the dynasty of the Patriots. What are your thoughts? I had not really heard much about him. He was this mysterious guy that was, yeah, yeah, yeah right-hand guy and you kind of brought him to life in this documentary well that was something that you know when you started talking to these people and like you know i wasn't a patriot fan growing up so 
I, a lot of the earlier interviews that we did were really just listening to people tell these stories and finding out who the key people were, but his name kept coming up over and over and over again. And when you think about it, the reason that those three people at the top of the story are so significant is because there aren't that many people who were there for 20 years besides them, right? Right. Because, the, you know, people call it the not for long league, right? That's the, that's the, that's sort of what people think of when they think about football players. And that normally applies to coaches, but on the Patriots, it applied to coordinators and people who, because of all their success would come in. And then all of a sudden they'd get hedge coaching opportunities. It happened to Charlie Weiss, you know, it, it happened to all, almost everybody that came through. The exception to that is Ernie Adams. He was one of the few people that was there for all of it. And I think the other part of this is, you know, you look at somebody like Scott Pioli. He left, I believe, after the 08 season. I might be off by a little bit there. But, you know, I wanted to make sure of two things because early on, I didn't know if Bill was going to was going to sit down and he was going to give me the version of Bill Belichick that sort of you see at the press conferences where he says two words and that's it. Right. What I got was a mix of that and also this other side of Bill Belichick, who was really sort of almost borderline. I mean, for Bill Belichick, at least gregarious in telling the story of calling up Randy Moss and, and trying to get him to come to the team or the story of lawyer Malloy in the hotel room before Super Bowl 36. But what I wanted to do is to make sure that I had Scott and Ernie for two different reasons. One is what you said is that Ernie and Scott, I think in a lot of ways, are as much of a foundation of the beginning of this dynasty as arguably anybody else is. But also, I wanted to make sure that I had Bill's perspective throughout this entire thing. And that not only applies to, you know, the decision of going with Tom Brady over Drew Bledsoe, but also some of the stuff that we get into later in the in the series when things get more complicated. I wanted to make sure that even if Bill didn't want to give his perspective, that we could always have somebody there who would say, for example, later in the Dynasty story, um, Tom's body coach, this guy named Alex Guerrero, who's very, very important to Tom, gets removed from the team sidelines and the plane and things like that. And... I, I thought that I would likely be able to get Tom's perspective, if not from Tom, which he ends up giving, but, all, but also through archive. But, you know, Bill really never spoke on the subject. And what I wanted to make sure is that I could have somebody like Ernie explaining why, why it was important from a coaching perspective not to have somebody like Alex Guerrero in the, in the building giving conflicting advice to the strength and conditioning staff because you know, I never wanted to have it be just a one-sided thing where you just heard Tom's point of view. I wanted you to hear a very valid and interesting point of view from the coaching staff. So you understood why these things were, were happening and could say, you know, I might not ha agree with what this person is doing, but I also understand exactly why they did it. Because I think that makes for the most compelling stories. I don't want to give anything away. I've previewed the entire season, but to me, the Aaron Hernandez episode, wow. I mean, you know, there's been another documentary on Aaron Hernandez. I thought your episode on this much more compelling because you had the other voices and the footage that you had, but it really, it, it took it from football to life, this documentary, and it was really a powerful episode in my opinion. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think that one of the things that we, we, we knew that, 
as we started to talk to people that this was obviously a very important chapter in the story, right? Um, something that still sort of affects haunts, whatever the word you want to use is the, to this day, a lot of the people that were, that were there. Um, and I don't think I've had a chance to watch the documentary that you're speaking of, so I'm not referring to that. But the thing that I didn't want to do is to make this salacious and and sort of make it into this like true crimey, like, you know, I don't know, salacious episode. Because the thing that I kept hearing from everybody who was there is, yes, this was a really traumatic thing that happened and they still were thinking about it to this day. But I think the thing that comes through is how much all of these people that were in the building cared for Aaron at the same time that, you know, that these, yes, these things happen, but they genuinely all love this guy. And, and, and really, whether it was ownership or coaching staff or anybody all had this hope that the, the few things that they had maybe heard about, which were sort of minor infractions, they had obviously had no idea that anything could get to the point that it got to. They hope that, as one person puts it, the Patriot way could kind of, you know, keep all of that at bay. And um, and so, again, I wanted to make sure that we showed people what it was like to sit across from somebody like Dion Branch, for example. And this episode is right. coming out uh, this Friday. But when you sit and you look at Dion Branch and you can I mean, it's one of those things where um just his facial expressions while he's talking about Aaron. Yeah. Tell you so much about how he feels, right? And this, he, that he's conflicted about this person. He cared deeply about who is his friend, but also I think, you know, he says, I sometimes I think to myself, Dion, how could you not have seen that? You know, how could you not have seen that? And that, that is something that was really important to capture and let people see. But I also, we talked about it a lot as we were putting this thing together was how do we make sure that we, we do, we don't make the mistake of dehumanizing Aaron just because he did something that was really, really bad. And that's really, really important. So we go a little bit into his backstory about how he, um, how he was raised and, and try to really get into, you know, how he came into the league. And one of the, we, we talked about the 35,000 hours of footage. Um, one of the great finds was, uh, every year the NFL has what's called a rookie symposium. And, oh my God. Yeah. And, and one of, and, and I'll, I'll never forget. Um, so I think, I think it was one of our archival producers, Vindy Anton came and said, by the way, we found this thing and it's of Chris Carter, who's a hall of fame wide receiver talking to the rookies from the 2010 draft class, which included Rob Gronkowski, Devin McCourty, and, uh, and Aaron Hernandez. And they're all in this room. And, one, and Chris Carter is giving this speech about how you, you know, this is a fork in the road for all of you to, to sort of separate yourself from the friends who are bad news and go on a different path because you're, you know, you're about to be under this magnifying glass. And if you think the money and the fame is going to change you it, it is not going to change you you're wrong it will and it will it will amplify things in a bad way and so to see this footage and you get to look at Aaron's as he's processing this and even asking a question it it was one of the all-time finds because look you can tell us you can have people sit in a chair and tell you a story it's another thing just to get to watch it because when you watch the footage it's without bias right it's just you're just watching this thing unfold and, and it's telling a story but you get to examine it and 
process it the way that you want to, rather than having somebody else tell you how to feel about it, right? And so that's an example of footage that just was so special for us to find. Yeah, my jaw was on the ground when I watched that because you you see Chris Carter, who's such a powerful speaker, and then Aaron Hernandez, and we already know what happened, right? Like we know how the story ends, and you can see Aaron Hernandez, you know, nodding his head, and and you know this was an, another uh, really powerful part of the docu series, in my opinion, because you're telling the story over 20 years of the Patriots. This is an incident that would have destroyed a lot of organizations. I mean, it, they could have completely crumbled after this. But like you said, the Patriot way and many other forces come together. So they were able to continue and win more Super Bowls. But this was a big, big blow to their organization. Well, look, I think as you go throughout the story of the New England Patriots, what you realize is that the culture that that Bill created, that that Robert created, and that Tom created, but largely, I think, in a lot of ways, the coaching staff created there. It was rigid, right? It was there is a very there's a there's a set of rules. Everybody followed them, and it was sort of a top down thing where Bill is sort of in charge, and then everybody else is equal and under Bill. And it was rigid, and it was tough, which is one of the things that we detail in the fifth episode, where people talk about how you know it's tough to be coached that way, but. They also talk about how it led to incredible success. And when you look at all of these instances, whether it was Spygate, Deflategate, Aaron Hernandez, there are these instances, as you just put it, where other teams would have fallen apart. But you have to wonder if, and I don't have an answer to that, but I wonder sometimes, did this rigid system that was hard at times for people allow this team when the spotlight was on them, when there was a target on their back in instances where people wanted to see them, you know, some come off their perch, did that rigid system allow for them to never sort of, you know, fall apart and waver? And so I, I don't have an answer to that, but it's something that I've asked myself. And and one of the things that we wanted to show was how this thing was created, how it was sustained over the course of all of these things happening to the team along the way. And then um, ultimately, unfortunately for the team, how these things that were kept at bay for so long couldn't be contained any longer and sort of made their way into Patriot Place. Last question, because I know you need to go. Um, I tweeted this out and, and I know you responded to it, but I think Bill Belichick may have coached his last game in the NFL as a head coach because he's old school. He needed the control and the power, which is very evident in this you know the the struggle that robert Kraft had in tom versus bill who who do i keep um and there are some things revealed in this documentary frankly that are not super flattering about bill belichick and you know owners watch this kind of stuff and this factors into their decision and i just wonder like you know was there any feedback from belichick at the end of this good or bad about this docuseries well, Bill hasn't Bill hasn't seen it yet. So uh, the answer is no, I haven't. But I think that my hope is that recency bias is, you know, not something that people uh, use in determining it, meaning I think a lot of people in ownership probably at least it seems like this offseason really focused on, you know, what had happened with the organization in the last three years in choosing not to bring on Bill. But when I saw you tweet that, um, what I responded with is that 
football will always be better with Bill Belichick in it. I agree. And I really do hope he, I, I hope he gets another opportunity because look, this is an incredibly complex story. And yes, we go into some things that, you know, I like to think we showed it from both perspectives. I, I hope we did. And it was really, really important for me to do that. I understand that there are some things that maybe don't shine a great light on him. But I also think we, all, we really do focus on how great of a coach all of his players thought he was at the same time. And, and I think that both things can be true at, at, the, at, the, at, you know, at once. And again, the game of football will always be better with Bill Belichick in it and with him as a head coach. So I sincerely hope that that's not the case, um, but we'll see. Matt Hamatek, director and executive producer of The Dynasty. It's all about the New England Patriots' amazing run. You can watch it now on Apple TV+. Plus. Matt, outstanding job with this. I mean, like Thank I said, so one of the best docuseries I've ever seen. And you know, I know how hard you worked on it and uh, continued success to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's nothing common about you. Now your talent, your drive, your achievements, or even your challenges. You need distinctive financial strategies that match your lifestyle and career trajectory. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment was created to address your specific needs at every stage of your career and deliver the financial education and strategies you need to help advance your game plan. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. That's morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to the Sports Business Radio team, Brian Griggs, Nicole Wardle, and Josh Blank. A reminder to kindly subscribe to our award-winning podcast. Our feed features 20 years of podcasts with the biggest names in sports and business. Go to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and click on the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner. That way, every episode of Sports Business Radio will be delivered to your listening device each week. We'd love to have you give us a five-star rating and write a review of our podcast as well. It'll take you just two minutes. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, X at SB Radio, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. SBR is produced by Brian Griggs at griggsproductions.com.